Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies a channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Max Kaiser, and we have a great show for you today. Uh, with us, we have Mariusz Kauczewiak, uh, Senior Research Associate and Lecturer in the Eastern European Studies Department at the University of Potsdam. Uh, Mariusz is the author of the new book, Polakos in Argentina, Polish Jews, Interwar Migration, and the emergence of transatlantic Jewish culture, published by the University of Alabama Press in 2020. So, Mariusz, thanks very much for being with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. So, first question: How did you come to write this book? It's a it's a good question. It's a good question, and it's, it's you know it's it's always a hard question because I don't have kind of like a straightforward answer. Uh, I didn't have like a moment of, you know, of illumination. This is a book I need to write, but it's kind of, you know, I, I would say that, you know, it's like many, many factors, you know, led to it. I was, I was, uh, I was studying Latin American studies. So I had this kind of, I had this kind of uh, Latin American connection and I was also doing Jewish studies and it kind of, you know, it kind of like merged together and, uh, and led me to, uh, to study Jewish experience in Latin America. And you know, gr- growing growing up in Poland, and uh, you know, I was I was always always pretty much surrounded by uh, by Holocaust studies scholarship, and uh, this was something which which you know, which I I didn't want to do. I wanted to do you know something which which wasn't that much explored, something which you know which uh, required a, a certain uh, new perspective. As you know, I wanted to study subjects which. Uh, which move our attention to to other 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 regions, other places of Jewish settlement, and to and to this and to these chapters of Jewish of Jewish history, which which you know so far didn't receive, uh, I mean, in my view, enough enough scholarly attention, or or they or they did receive the attention, but you know, but after after you know after several decades. Uh, uh, when the when the first book on uh, Jewish experience in Latin America were published, I think there was there was a need to you know to 
to reevaluate re our 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 findings and to reevaluate our uh, what we know about uh, Jews in Latin America. Yeah, that's a really interesting question about sort of the the existing historiography because I uh, know that you've done pretty extensive research and uh, looking at archives and sources that are mm. uh, not uh, ones that have been looked at before. Maybe you could yeah. um, kick us off by yeah telling us a bit about your sources and about mm. Um, mm. particularly the first couple of chapters that you look at yeah. are debates about debates among Polish Jews. Um, so at the turn of the previous century and at the debates around Argentina and how mm. there were conflicting images of Argentina um, mm-hmm. reflected the competing interests of different sections of Polish Jewry. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah sure. sure. So, you know, like when, when I was, when I was like conceptualizing this, this research and doing this, uh, let's say, research design, uh, I, I, you know, I, I realized that, you know, that, uh, that history of migration of Jewish migration is, is, uh, is too often written from the perspective of the, of the new country, of the, of the country where, where people immigrate and my kind of my kind of approach was to you know to bridge to bridge their realities in the in the home country and the realities in the in the new country and and do not you know do not perceive Jewish migration and emigration from Eastern Europe as something you know as something natural as something you know, that was you know always supposed to happen as something you know which uh, I mean can be easily explained because you know in my opinion it wasn't and uh, and this is this is what you know this is what emerges from from my sources, so uh, as you as you mentioned in the first in the first two chapters, I kind of uh, try to I try to recreate the debates in uh, in, uh, in Jewish Poland concerning the immigration prospects. So, uh, you know the 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 plans, you know, or like the you know, the the very the very the very Jewish immigration to to Argentina starts around eighteen eighties eighteen nineties, and this is when this is when the discussions. This is this is when the discussions also start in Poland and and at, and initially the uh, you know the approach the approach in uh, uh, the the approach in Jewish Poland concerning the, the, the you know the possibility of immigration was was received in Poland with much reservation you know the the there were there were many voices which were uh, perceiving you know immigration immigration to Argentina as, as something. As something dangerous, as something very unsure, as something uh, uh, which was which wasn't so advisable. And uh, we might, you know, we, we need to have in mind that uh, that from from those from this era, for I mean, like the 1880s, 1890s, we do not have we do not have many accounts of uh, migrants themselves. I mean, like what we what what I could recreate is the let's say the elite elite Jewish discourse on uh, on. Migration to Argentina, which happened, you know, in Polish Jewish press or in Hebrew press, and uh, there is much, there is much caution, there is much, you know, there is much. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if I would say fear, but uh, you know, in those years, Argentina was perceived as you know, as not as not a real country, as, as something you know so far away, so unimag- unimaginable that that. Uh, uh, that you know that um, let's say leading leading Polish Polish Jewish uh, uh, media outlets as Israelita or uh, the Hebrew ones uh, uh, at Sfira, 
they were they were very much you know let's say against but but this but this changes this changes as 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 the as the as the migration progresses right so i would say that you know that the just before the World War One, I, I mean, like the first decade of the the first decade of the 20th century, the migration already becomes uh, becomes normalized, normalized in Jewish Poland. I mean, Polish Jews and you know both both the members of the elite and uh, and the regular regular folks they they just noticed you know people do emigrate to Argentina and and uh, you know establish their lives there and and. Uh, in some cases, you know, some say, some cases, you know, they are more successful. In some cases, they are less successful. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I I define you know I define it as a as a period of normalization of Jewish uh, of, of Jewish Argentina in the Polish in the Polish Jewish eyes. Uh, yeah, so this is I would say that this is the first uh, this is the first kind of uh, uh, this is kind this is this kind of like first first encounter with uh, 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 with Argentina in, in Jewish Poland uh, I work you know I work I work a lot with uh, with the so-called uh, I mean like what I call uh, immigration guidebooks these were these were these were booklets written by uh, written in Yiddish uh, by by you know diverse personalities you know some of them were in were in Argentina some of them have never been there but kind of like you know compiled uh, compiled you know a body of knowledge which was uh, which was supposed to be useful for those who were considering emigration uh, one of these books was was written by uh, by a man called Jan Kefidwabnik uh, which was you know i think it appeared you know in several several prints i think it was printed you know seven or seven or eight times still before the world war 1 and uh, yeah and you know also i mean also, these these guidebooks they were they are you know they are ambivalent concerning Argentina. I mean, they do not they do not they do not present Argentina as a, you know, as, as, a, as a as a as a paradise. I mean, they 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 they, they kind of you know offer a offer a perspective which uh, which is supposed to be you know informative for those who uh, consider to immigrate and do not uh, do not paint. I mean, like. They are not using, you know, uh, these uh, pink glasses or uh, do not idealize uh, uh, Argentina, but kind of, you know, like they are they are relati- relatively down to earth, bordering on bordering on this kind of like cautionary tone. Uh, I'm not sure if you if you want me now to speak about you know the the 1920s and 1930s. This is like the uh, the focus uh, the, the the time which I focus on. Uh, in those years, you know, in those years, there are some some changes to, um, you know, to to the um, to, concerning Polish Jewish discourse on Argentina. Uh, yeah, I think that would be good because um, obviously we've got this. Um, yeah, we've got this sort of literature that that uh, is uh, maybe cautionary or, uh, like you say, is not necessarily sort of doing mm-hmm. the hard sell in terms of Argentina. Yeah. But then um, you, the way that you're book opens is with this uh, mm. story about uh, a man called Lazaro Pinchuk and um, basically the story is that he decides to immigrate to Argentina he's a young man, decides mm. to immigrate to Argentina all by himself in 1923 yeah. Um, yeah. I guess yeah the question is why wh- Why did he do this and what was the, what was the attraction and what was the um, 
yeah, what was the image of Argentina that suddenly became very attractive for people around mm-hmm. around this time? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like uh, my book, my book focuses indeed on the 1920s and 1930s, mm. which is uh, which is the which is the the highest. You know, I mean, this is the this is the um, let's say the peak of the Polish Jewish immigration uh, to Argentina, which which w- when we have you know about 50, 60 percent Jewish immigrants arriving from Poland specifically, not not from other countries of the region, and uh, you know. Uh, no, 1920s, you know, this is the time when also the uh, when the United States are you know reducing the reducing the immigration quotas, and and mid 1920s, this is this is exactly the time when Argentina, you know, appears as a you know as a very desired destination. I mean, after after you know after after US you know gets you know I mean closes its gates basically 1923 1924, Argentina is the first. Is the first immigration destination for Eastern European Jews before Palestine, right? And and um, and in and indeed, you know, uh, I mean, the story with Lazaro Pinchuk is was, you know, it's, it's my kind of like my opening story, and I think it's you know, it's his uh, his uh, his decision to immigrate is, you know, is representative for a for a larger. Larger portion of Polish Jewish, uh, Polish Jewish, uh, of, of Polish Jews, which were you know on the border of uh, on the border of you know of, of uh, I mean like they were they, I think there was you know there was a body of uh, there was a group of young Polish Jews who really wanted to change their life right and they have diverse options in interwar Poland so I mean you could go you could go you could go in the Zionist direction you could go in the in the in the socialist direction. You can, you know, uh, and you could go, you could also emigrate, and 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 this was this was, this was an option which uh, which many were uh, which many were choosing, right? And uh, I think you know, uh, I think you know, so it's also important to have in mind that uh, if someone you know decides to emigrate, he's you know he's you know already at the, I mean he's he's a person who's questioning the tradition, right? He's not he's not a person very much, let's say. I mean, like he's already considering, you know, this this break off from from the place where he's uh, where he's where he's living. So, I kind of, you know, I kind of like present immigration to Argentina as as a part of the same, uh, you know, social. I mean, like social social developments in Poland, which uh, which are connected with the industrialization, the Jewish immigration to the to the urban centers, the you know the the demise of the shtetl. Uh, because when we when we look when we look at the profiles like that the the, I mean, the the class profile of the of the immigrants they are not they are not you know they are not religious shtetl Jews who are immigrating to Argentina in the 1920s 1930s right it's already a group of people who are who have certain you know certain kind of like proletarian background who are already you know uh, uh, active in certain you know um, Socialist unions, let's say, they were working working in factories, and this is what and and this is what they are trying to, and this is what they are trying to recreate in Argentina, uh, which we which which also there we we see you know like a, a rise of Jewish of Jewish worker unionism. We 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 see the rise of Jewish Jewish left wing politics, and and this is this is you know this is this this is this kind of like transnational connection which which I. Kind of, you know, underlined in my book that you know there was there was a flow, 
there was a flow of people, but there was, you know, at the same time, there was a flow of ideas uh, between between Jewish Poland and and Jewish Argent uh, and, Jew- and Jewish Argentina, and uh, and this was, you know, it, this was, you know, I I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, you know, it was like it was like in one di- in one direction, let's say, but. Uh, mm, it it wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't it was I mean it wasn't a mutual process you know like the Argentina was usually the receiving end of influence and not the and not the not, and not the and not the influencer and uh, and this uh, yeah I mean I hope I hope this this answers the question I, I already you know f- forgot to the to, to what was what was the precisely the question but I hope you know it's uh, we are we are slowly getting there to the point. No, no, I think that's um, a really good um, um, outlining of some of those central themes of the the book and uh, exactly, yeah, how there was this sort of transnational connection, but as you say, it wasn't. Um, there was sort of all sorts of uh, different influences going on and uh, different ideas, mm-hmm. uh, international ideas, different movements, whether it's migration or. Uh, I guess movements of ideas uh, that were um, not, as you say, mutual. That, that there was sort of sort of an uneven flow back back and forth. Mm. So I think we'll get into it as we as we go through through the discussion of the book. Um, I want to move on to specifically your third chapter, um, and you look at uh, in this chapter the exoticization of Argentina uh, through an examination of, of travel writings. Maybe you could tell us a bit about that. Sure. Uh, you know, in the, the beginning of the 20th century is a period when, when, uh, when travel writing in general is booming, right? And, and especially in the context of migration, uh, travel travelogues or travel narratives were something which was uh, which was something you know very popular uh, among among you know Jewish Jewish reading public. So in my in my book uh, in Polacos in Argentina, I'm kind of uh, I'm looking at uh, at two travelogues. Uh, one is by uh, Perez Hirschbein, uh, which he published in 1916, uh, and uh, and, the, and the second one is by uh, Hershdovit Nomberg. Uh, from 1924. Uh, importantly, they were, you know, they were they were published in a book form, but uh, but uh, but they were published all, earlier on. They were published in installments in uh, uh, in uh, in Warsaw Yiddish Daily, Der Moment, and kind of you know, kind of you know, like I mean, even before the publication of the book, they were kind of you know, like providing providing like on uh, insights on Jewish Argentina, like from I mean, like while being there, right? Uh, and specifically concerning concerning exotization of exotization of Argentina, I think you know. Uh, I mean, Nomberg, Nomberg and Hirschman they were they were conditioned you know by uh, uh, by diverse issues in in the I mean like when they were conceptualizing the travelogue. So on the one hand, they wanted you know uh, to check. I mean, is Argentina a uh, a good country for Jews, right? And they were they were kind of kind of you know, like following and trying to trace the uh, trace the you know development of Jewish schooling, of of, of Yiddish publishing, of uh, of diversion. I mean, like of, of of Jewish infrastructures in 
uh, in Argentina, also like specifically the uh, the uh, Argentina's Jewish agricultural colonies, which were kind of like you know a landmark of the community. Uh, but at the same time, I think you know they were both both travel writers. They were conditioned by very by the expectations of the of the readers in in Eastern Europe, right? And I mean. You know, most of the people they didn't they didn't emigrate, and most of the people didn't plan to emigrate. And what they were what they were looking for this was you know there was uh, entertainment, right? They wanted you know they wanted to have a, a I mean a, a good you know piece of piece of reading material. And and I think I think the uh, I think this you know this kind of like presenting Argentina as, as a place which you know which is uh, which is dangerous, which is exotic, which is so foreign, which is so far away. Which is so, which is so un-Jewish and so un-Polish, which is something which is you know very, very much distant from the from the living words of uh, of of the of, of Polish Jewish Jewish readership. It was something which was, which was definitely attractive for them. And uh, and Hirschbend Nomberg, they are not they are not only travel travel writers. You know, as I said before, you know there was you know there was a booming market on uh, on this kind of on this kind of uh, narratives in. In Poland, 1920s, 1930s, and uh, I mean, you know, I'm I'm discussing I'm discussing you know the the, the travelogues of of Hirschben and and Nomberg also in the context of uh, let's say general, including non-Jewish non-Jewish travel writing, and I'm like trying to um, to understand to what extent to what extent you know Eastern European Jewish travel writer is similar or different to to French or British or British travel writer. And uh, I come to conclusion that they are, you know, they, they position is very, they position, position is very ambivalent, right? So, on the one hand, they have, you know, they have these certain traces of of uh, white supremacism. I mean, they are, they they perceive this, they perceive themselves as members of of the of the elite. Let's say, I mean, they are they are, you know, they are they are members of the cultural elite. I mean, maybe not in the let's say uh, in, the, in in France or or in Britain, but definitely in the, the Yiddish land. And uh, but on the other hand, they do not have uh, they do not have this approach which uh, which links them with with any empire, right? They do not have they do not have this approach of that you know they, that they they writing they travel writing needs to kind of uh, be linked with any imperial project because you know because Jews weren't weren't a colonial nation, and uh, so. I mean, you find you know you find very I mean like you find very exoticizing uh, you know paragraphs you know about like red red Indians or and they being being so you know so uh, hot blooded and very you know uh, I mean or or dangerous or you know, like being you know being, being able being able to kill you for no reason and uh, the same the same happens you know with with uh, uh, Argentine nature. You know, the nature the nature is is you know, is pictured in both texts as something as something very perilous as something very you know as something which uh, which the jewish 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 uh, agricultural settlers they need to uh, they need to subdue right that's something which is you know which is like so powerful and so uh, un- uncontrollable that it really requires a major offer effort uh, on the side of uh, of the Jewish, uh, of the Jewish, uh, of the Jewish settlers, uh, and I think you know, I think this this aspect of the narrative is, is to a certain extent similar to 
uh, to Zionist accounts of you know of, of like conquering the conquering Palestine in the in the uh, conquering Palestine in this kind of like terms of uh, of nature, right? You know, of like you know drying the drying the wetlands and so and so on and so forth. So. Uh, so both both Nuremberg both Nuremberg and Hirschbein kind of give an account of, of of Jewish of like immense Jewish effort to establish the new lives as uh, as farmers as farmers in Argentina, and you know despite despite all obstacles and despite you know uh, uh, despite this, this you know this uh, uh, unfriendly unfriendly conditions which they which they face. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's- and um, I guess it makes me think about um, also Jewish and, and Yiddish discourse in Australia as well, where you had that mm-hmm. um, sort of, I guess, settler settler colonial mm-hmm. discourse around um, exoticizing uh, or treating Indigenous people as inferior and also, you know, exoticizing mm-hmm. sort of yeah. nature and that it was sort of an enemy to be conquered. And um, so there's some really interesting common themes there. Um, so, yeah, we talked about sort of how um, these travel writers exoticized Argentina um, and we sort of touched on it, but I'd like to um, go mm-hmm. a bit more into it, into it is this idea of Yiddish land that you, that you talk about. So maybe tell us a bit more about what you mean by Yiddish land and um, mm-hmm. tell us about about how Argentina was was a part of it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, well, you know, like one one of the one of the arguments which which I kind of you know, like suggest in, in this book that you know that uh, that the Jewish migration uh, from Eastern Europe to Argentina extended extended the extended extended what I call the Yiddish land, which is the you know let's say the cultural space. Uh, of Eastern of Eastern European Jewish Jewishness, where you know, where where Yiddish is the language of 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 of, of education, of institutions, of, of of theater, of of other, I mean, like of different you know uh, social social and cultural infrastructures, and uh, you know, I think, I mean, there there you know there there, there are two aspects which I think I, I would like to uh, I would like to mention today. So one one of them is that you know that. Uh, I suggest that you know that Yiddishism kind of like I mean Yiddishism understood as as, as a movement uh, as a as a, you know like power powerful language movement and you know as which sees Yiddish language as a, as a major major uh, feature of uh, Ashkenazi Eastern European Jewishness that it also immigrated to Argentina and you know it it uh, it found you know a, a fruitful a fruitful ground in Argentina and and kind of you know experienced a period a period uh, a period of blooming. Which which wasn't exactly perceived uh, as such everywhere. So, uh, so uh, you know, for Argentine Argentine Yiddish Yiddish activists, it was very very important that that their efforts, you know, in in literature, in in you know, in theater, in uh, in education, Yiddish education, that they would be recognized uh, 
in other measures or in, in other major in major centers of, of of the Yiddish land, meaning you know in Eastern Europe uh, and in the United States, right? So you know, no, I mean, for, from Eastern Europe, European perspective, all Yiddish things which happened in Argentina they were uh, peripheral and and marginal. They weren't they weren't they weren't on the same level as as you know as as what was going on in in, uh, in Poland, let's say in the 1920s, when when this was the this was the major center of of Yiddish of Yiddish culture, right? So uh, for Argentine activists, it was always very important, you know, to to present themselves, to cast themselves as 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 you know as a as a as a new branch of Yiddish land, something which you know which grew from scratch, you know, that there was nothing, and now we we managed to we, we were successful in building in building all this uh, all this Yiddish life, right? And uh, and they weren't. I mean, they weren't. You know, exaggerating. Uh, you know, let's say concerning concerning Yiddish, Yiddish media, right? They were. Uh, they were. Uh, I mean, like just just to mention that the two two main two main Yiddish Yiddish daily newspapers, the Press and the Yiddish Zeitung, they were they were highly influential on Jewish uh, on Jewish street in Argentina, and they were they were really read by uh, by most of uh, by most of Argentine Jews. And uh, uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, no. Also concerning the Yiddish schooling, I mean, I mean, I, you could say, I mean, I could say, I, I would say that you know that Argentina was was you know was was relatively successful in uh, in establishing you know all these all these uh, Yiddish infrastructures, and but still you know the the level of recognition uh, from other centers there was something which was which was always on the agenda. So at times you know at times the. Eastern European uh, Argentine Jews were traveling to traveling to to Eastern Europe, for instance, for the conference of the Evo Institute. I mean, just you know, just to be there, just to be connected, right? Just to just just to show you know Argentine Jewish, uh, the, just to show the the vitality of uh, Argentine Jewish or Argentine Yiddish life uh, in the in the Eastern European center, and. Uh, you know, I think I think in one of the chapters I, I look uh, I look at the at the, the Warsaw Literary uh, Weekly Literarische Blätter, which was you know which was a kind of like a elite highbrow uh, literary 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 media literary journal, and I I suggest that this was you know this was like the only the only source in Poland which which gave Argentina Jewish Argentina this. Uh, Recognition, which which it kind of requested, right? Which I mean, literary letter, you know, featured featured articles on uh, Argentine Argentinian Yiddish writers. They once they once they, they printed, you know, printed and uh, like a full full Argentine uh, Yiddish issue of of of, of literary letter. But still, this was this was this was something uh, this was something unique. So you know, in, like you know, if we speak about the Know, broader broader discussions uh, in uh, in Jewish Poland on Argentina 1920s 1930s I mean it's still this like the, the major context you know it's it's emigration and and uh, and women trafficking which I guess we'll we'll speak about it you know later later on to some extent and uh, and the and the interest you know in uh, in what is what is Jewish Argentina doing you know in the terms of uh, literature or or journalism it wasn't you know it wasn't raising much uh, much interest uh, in Poland 
I think that you sort of um, towards the end of the book, you you turn more towards looking at Argentine mm-hmm. Jewish identity, and and I guess how the negotiation of this identity was influenced by that um, diasporic Yiddish agenda. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe you could tell us a, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know. I mean, like so. On one side, on one side, we have this. We have, we have what we have this. What we what you just called, you know, this like international international uh, Yiddish agenda. And on the on the other hand, we have uh, Argentine nationalism and Argentine belonging. Right. So these are these are kind of you know, like two competing powers, which are kind of uh, uh, and 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 Jews in Argentina they found they find themselves, uh, you know, somewhere. Between those powers, and they need to, and they, and they need to, and they need to negotiate. You know, if they go, if they go more into you now this, this, uh, let's say, Argentine national national direction, or they, or they, you know, maintain uh, maintain. Uh, I mean, like interests and loyalties in this kind of like uh, uh, Yiddish Yiddish links with other parts of the world. I think you know. I think we shouldn't think we shouldn't think about this uh, this this you know uh, this tool. Two options as black and white, and I think you know most of the people they were they were in a in a kind of like a gray zone. But you know they they, they were able you know both to develop a very strong and very strong identity identity attachment to to Argentina, but at the same time you know maintain this uh, this sense of uh, obligation or like the sense of uh, uh, I mean like to maintain you know. I mean, like to maintain Jewish Poland as you know as a, as, a, as a major reference point, you know, in terms of in terms of of who they are. So, you know, one of the I mean, like when you when you look at the when you look at the first when you look at the first generation of migrants, I mean, those who who migrated uh, relatively early, meaning meaning you know the last decade of the nineteenth century, the first decade of the twentieth century. Those this generation of people, uh, uh, especially the children, uh, especially children, they grew up in a kind of like nationalist discourse, which which was very strong in Argentina around 1910, which was the the hundredth anniversary of Argentine independence. And in those years, in those years, uh, this kind of you know melting pot melting pot ideology was was very much dominant uh, in Argentine. Uh, Politics and and society and the and the immigrants immigrants were very much requested to to as soon as possible to you know to become Argentine and to kind of you know eliminate the the links with the with the countries of origins. I mean, this is another question if if they were uh, if they were successful or not or not. Uh, but but these years you know these are years for instance when we're in schooling uh, you know where, when the immigrant immigrant kids are very much you know. Very much like brought up in this kind of like Argentine nationalist spirit, and and this is you know this is also something which uh, which happens with, uh, with 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 Jewish immigrants, and you know like also adopting Spanish as the as the first language, and uh, and and this is this is what this is what leads us you know to to emergence in the, in the second decade of the of the twentieth century uh, of you know, like major. Uh, Major institu- major Jewish Jewish Argentine institutions of this kind of like uh, acculturated group within Argentine Jewry. So we have the 
Sociedad Hebraica Argentina, which was kind of like grouping this kind of, you know, young, uh, young Jews who were fluent in Spanish and very much connected to, to Argentina. They felt they felt first and foremost as, as Argentines. The Jewishness was you no know, something was something at the background, right? They they like they first you know the first uh, form of identification was as, as Argentines, and they also establish they also establish uh, the newspapers and, and so on and so forth. And uh, and what I suggest you know that in the uh, that in the nineteen twenties when there is a second wave of Polish Jewish immigration, that when we have you know when we have a generation of people who who grew up in Poland with. Uh, with Yiddish schooling, who grew up with Yiddish press, which wasn't the case, which wasn't the case, you know, twenty years twenty years earlier, right? So, uh, you know, the first, I mean, before, I mean, before, I mean, the, at the very beginning of the twentieth century, there was there was still, you know, not uh, there was no free Jewish press in Russian Empire. So this happens only later, right? So those who those who uh, immigrated in the nineteen twenties, they kind of, you know. Bring new new ideas about Jewishness. They 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 bring new new concepts, you know, both in politics and concerning the the language policies. And and this is this is what I call uh, uh, of of Jewish Argentina. So we have you know we have this gener- we have this group of of uh, of children of the first immigrants, the end of the nineteenth century, which are which I call which I call Israelitas Argentinos, like Jewish Argentines. And we have the and we have the new the new group of immigrants, which kind of you know, bring bring new ideas, and they are very much and they are very much influential. They do not they do not believe that you know that uh, the Yiddish language is is uh, inferior to Spanish. They do not believe that the the the, the cultural expression of of Argentine Jews should be in Spanish exclusively, and. Uh, and I think you know in the 1920s they they really gain they really gain in uh, like the the upper hand uh, in Argentine Jewish uh, Jewish Jewish world in the 1920s, and and this of course changes in the 19 in the 1930s where where, where they themselves Argentinize and they, they themselves you know uh, become you know more more linked to uh, to the Spanish Spanish speaking uh, Spanish speaking surrounding uh, yeah but. Uh, but still, you know, they maintain they maintain diverse 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 forms of of, of links with uh, with Jewish Poland, which uh, which is for for instance fundraising for diverse causes in uh, uh, in Poland or organizing you know protests, kind of like organizing protests against against anti-Semitism in Poland. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so. Along that theme, part of what you look at uh, in the last few chapters is um, Argentine landsman history. Mm-hmm. So, just tell us a bit about what that what that is. First of all, what is a landsman, yeah. and what was the role of landsman organizations mm-hmm. in engendering ethnic identities in in Argentina? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, so you know, like uh, landsman and there is these are you know these are unions or societies grouping uh, grouping Jews coming from the same time from, from the same town or from the same region and they were established you know they were established in, in most of uh, countries of Jewish immigration you know including United States uh, Argentina uh, South Africa I'm sure Australia as well 
Israel. And uh, and you know, usually usually Landsmannschaften are are known to, to many people as kind of like producers of uh, of ethnic memory uh, in the form of of Jewish of Jewish uh, memorial books, the the Iskorbicher, uh, which were published after after Holocaust. Uh, uh, as a kind of you know, kind of like a mutual effort to to commemorate uh, the destroyed Jewish communities, and my and my approach was you know kind of you know to to look you know deeper in the uh, in the landsman in the landsman history, and kind of like focus on the activities before before the Holocaust. I mean when the I mean to focus on the activities in the in the period of in the period of immigration. So. Uh, and and of course, you know, Landsmannschaften is not something you know. Uh, I mean, the, the name the name is a is a Yiddish name, but uh, but this kind of you know like mutual mutual uh, support uh, support organization or uh, societies. This was something common for any any group of uh, uh, any group of immigrants. So in Argentina, in those years, we have we have analogous uh, you know organizations made by organized by. By Italians, by Spaniards, by by Poles, etc., uh, etc. Et so, uh, so at the first, you know, at the first in the first period, just after the the, the people immigrated, they got together, kind of, you know, to to create to create this uh, this networks of mutual support. So, you know, in those years, we do not have we do not have any kind of you know, like pension plans, we do not have insurances, we do not have uh, any like state organized support for uh, for people. So. So they were organizing, you know, uh, they were offering free loans for for new immigrants to establish the businesses. They were offering for offering assistance for people who were unemployed, and uh, or like medical assistance, right? And this is this is the this is the this is the first period of uh, of, of landsman history, which which you know which uh, uh, which is the second. I mean, which in Argentine case, it's the second decade of of the uh, of the twentieth century. And afterwards, you know, when the when the migrants they are you know uh, they are more and more successful in uh, in in Argentina when they are when they are growing from when they are growing from peddlers into uh, you know let's say middle sized uh, factory owners or workshop owners or in quite in some cases uh, clerks. I mean, then, then I suggest that the role that the role of Landsmannschaften is, is is changing and it's it's transforming in very different direction. Uh, and and in those in those in those years, I I think Landsmannschaften they are like as a place of ethnic empowerment, ethnic empowerment as Polish Jews, right? So I I, I work uh, I work with the with the with the uh, the biggest. With the biggest uh, landsmanschaft in Argentina, which was uh, Polish uh, Polish Verband uh, and uh, Polish Jewish Union in Argentina, and uh, and I look at you know I look at the at the at the, at the uh, newspapers. I mean they were they were producing their own journals. I look at the at the, the protocols of the meetings. I look at the events they organized. So. If you look, you know, if you look, for instance, at the, at the let's see, let's see the the cultural the cultural aspects. So you know the the the, the picnics that, which they organized. I mean those those meetings were you know I mean they were organized. They were they were kind of like projecting the, the middle class aspirations because like picnics it was uh, picnics it was you know with with orchestra and music etc. You know like like 
laser laser activities. This was something which which Argentine middle class was uh, you know was performing uh, in the 19, 1920s 1930s in order to kind of like voice uh, voice the belonging to the middle to middle class. But at the same time, the meetings were just. I mean, they were organized in an exclusively Polish-Jewish uh, setting, right? Only Polish Jews and their wives and their children, they were uh, they were there. And this was kind of you know, like a, a space for like fostering, uh, fostering the sense of the sense of community and and uh, and also kind of you know uh, underlining the underlining the 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 you know they the achievement in Argentina as 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 Polish Jews right so uh, um, you know this is and this is this is something which which becomes which becomes very very visible in the uh, in the, in this fundraising campaigns which which I mentioned earlier so uh, in the 1920s, 1930s, Argentine Jews organized uh, organized fundraising campaigns in order to support certain initiatives in Jewish Poland, which they, uh, which with with what with which they identify. It it could mean Yiddish secular schooling. It could mean uh, the the Hivo Institute in Vilna, and and they kind of you know they kind of perceive those those uh, those centers. Uh, in Poland, as 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 hallmarks, as the major major you know uh, achievements of Polish Polish of Polish Jews, and they, as Polish Jews in Argentina, they fer- they feel they they feel responsible for supporting and maintaining uh, this, uh, this this in, these institutions, and uh, and in order to do so, they they indeed organize like large scale uh, large scale f- fundraising campaigns. It's of course it's of course not not only the 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 Polish Verband which which is which is doing it, but it always the members of the Polish Verband were the leaders of the uh, were the leaders of these fundraising campaigns. So so on the one hand we have you know we have this we have this like kind of like support for uh, for this for this uh, Jewish Jewish uh, initiatives in Poland which uh, which with which they identify, but at the same time we have and. and the, the campaigns, the fundraising campaigns, they were, uh, you know, they were organized in order to to showcase the the economic success uh, in in Argentina, success, right? So I mean, you know, it was kind of you know to to show themselves and to show other uh, other Argentines and to show Polish Jews, look, we are we are Polish Jews, we are successful, and we with our Argentine money we support the Ivo Institute in Vilna or we support we support the the Cisho secular schools. In Poland, because we are Polish Jews, and because we maintain, uh, you know, this sense of responsibility. Let's say that's all very interesting. Uh, we're coming to the end of our interview today. So before, but before I uh, get you to tell us a bit more about what your next project is or what you're working on, is there anything else um, that you want to cover off? Um, that we haven't um, about about this book about Polacos in uh, Argentina. I think I think we have I think we have managed managed to cover you know basically the main points. I think uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, that's a really good um, preview uh, for the listeners and potential potential readers. Um, so um, thoroughly recommend um, having a read of the book. 
So, yes, before we do let you go, uh, Marush, um, can you tell us a bit about what you're working on next? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm kind of in a... Mm, I, I, I'm doing you know a project which is you know which is which is not not connected with Latin with Latin America. I'm I'm now working on a on my second book project which which looks at gender relations and specifically at at, at Polish Jewish masculinities, eighteen uh, nineties nineteen thirties, and uh, kind of you know like um, offers offers like a you know a broad perspective on on Jewish men on Jewish men in Poland. I mean like. So far, so far, you know, we have we have we have seen these studies, which you know, which looked looked at the masculinity in, in the in the context of Zionism, and 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 the new Jewish man, or we had we had the we had this important book of of of, of Boyarin on uh, on kind of you know like gentle gentle uh, gentle orthodox masculinity, and I think you know these two opposing visions they are not exactly they are not exactly representing the. The, the the lived the lived reality in Poland and I think that as as you know as as in as in the case of uh, uh, you know uh, Jews in Argentina uh, the gray zone was always the the biggest the biggest you know uh, let's say fragment of the uh, uh, fragment of the of the of the social reality so I'm I'm looking at diverse aspects of you know of 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 of, of building uh, building male gender roles so I'm looking at the I'm looking at the um, Jewish uh, uh, Jewish fraternities at universities in uh, in Krakow and in Lviv. Uh, I'm looking at the debates concerning the circumcision in Poland. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the the yeshiva masculinity. I mean, this is this is what I'm this is this is what I'm working working on now. Uh, yeah, and. Uh, as I said, I'm I'm kind of you know like uh, in the middle of this project, so I think it will still take like uh, about two years to to be able to present it uh, to the readers. Okay, great. Well, we'll have to book you in for um, two years' time um, to come back to New Books in Jewish Studies because um, that sounds like a really great uh, and interesting book project. Um, but that's all we have time for today. So um, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was, it was a pleasure to talk with you and thank you again for, for inviting me.